This is the Volleyball Coaching Wizards podcast, covering everything coaching. Motivated and inspired by interviews and conversations with some of the world's great volleyball coaches. To learn more about the project, visit VolleyballCoachingWizards.com. Now here are your hosts, John Foreman and Mark Levijou. Welcome to episode 15 of the podcast. Former NCAA Division III coach Joel Deering is back with us once more. Uh, last time in episode 12, we shared his thoughts on coaching to the performance as opposed to coaching to the match score. This time, we're going to use uh, we're going to focus our attention on another snippet from his interview, in which he talks about the need to give attention to the top players on your team's roster. Uh, as coaches, there's a tendency for us to perhaps focus at the middle, or maybe to spend more time working with the, the less experienced, less skilled players in an effort to try to bring them up to the level of everybody else on the team, which obviously, you know, leaves us not giving as much attention to the players at the top end of the roster. Um, so the conversation in this episode focuses on the things that we can do to kind of correct that and how we can keep working our, our best players and keep developing them over time. So hopefully you enjoy. I, I don't think when I first coached, I don't know that I was as focused on strengthening our best players. I, I think, I really do think there are a lot of blind spots for coaches, and I think my situation might have been closer to, you know, a high school than, you know, a scholarship situation. I had to look at my team and I'm, we're trying to improve everybody. And sometimes in that process, your best players, how are you challenging your very best player? If your best player is your best athlete, if your best player is clearly better than anybody else on your team, how are you getting them better on a daily basis? And so that's something that I really worked at. I wanted, our, I wanted everyone to get better, including our strongest players. And I think sometimes we don't think that way. First off, before we even get into the subject of coaching your best player, I... I found it really interesting that Joel made his comment about coaching blind spots. And I'm hoping that anybody who either listens to this or listens to Joel's full interview actually realizes the implications of there and starts to have some thoughts about where their own coaching blind spots are, um, because we certainly all have them. But getting to the main point, there's, there's kind of this notion that in any kind of educational setting, the tendency of the teacher or the coach in our case is to kind of work toward the mean. Um, you, you coach the bulk of the players who are in the middle or in what it, I think it, what probably happens a little bit more in a team context is maybe you think you need to bolster the lower end of the roster to bring them up to you know competitiveness with everybody else. And in either case, the people at the top end of the roster tend to get uh, left out. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's so many uh, interesting parts of that conversation. Um, the, uh, typically, I'm sure that most coaches think that the the best players are the, the most difficult to, to push, I guess, is, is one thing. Um, and so it's easier to spend time with uh, with the guys that or the players that are easiest to improve. Maybe that's a better way of putting it, where you can you can get bigger gains um, 
in a in a shorter period of time or bigger gains for this the same amount of work um i thought the joel's joel's comment about about pushing players in in training particularly i i think or the ones that that are better than the, the rest I, that's a really that's also a really interesting one because the uh, when you set up competition in in uh, in in practice a lot of times you play first six against second six which is a problem in and of itself or potentially a problem in and of itself but if you have one guy that's better it's really difficult to find ways to uh to push him organically in practice agreed uh, i mean i was just dealing with that coaching in sweden where my top outside hitter was miles above say my top opposite or the other outside hitter or most of the other attackers and blockers in the team such that you know we had a really hard time challenging her from a, an offense defense perspective um the you know the things that i had to do to to put her in situations where she was going to have to work to develop her game was to try to match her up with you know our our setter who was actually a slightly better blocker than our opposite and to put her up against our better middle blocker when she was attacking or to have her blocking against our best middle middle blocker running the slide or some sort of set behind or whatever and you know creating those circumstances that could benefit as many players as possible um, not just that one player obviously but you know you, you do have to find ways of, of trying to push that one as far as you possibly can um, given the the restraints that you might have yeah I was gonna go for the matchup uh, idea as well because uh, the obviously if you do first six against second six which I'm not at all in favor of then it's impossible to do that but but uh, to have hitters uh, a better spiker spiking always against the best block uh, is the most obvious one or um, or one the one that I've seen in a professional team is that the, um, whatever the drill is uh, we talk sometimes about confirmation points so that uh, you you have a particular goal for the drill um, that that you have to reach if it's two out of four or five out of seven or three in a row or um, a side out plus a high ball or, or whatever it is that if you reach that then you have a, a confirmation point sometimes uh, it can be a break point or sometimes you could need to get one side out or 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 something to to keep the point that you win and one that I, one version of that i've seen is where the best player had to score a point so whatever the whatever the drill was it had to finish with um i guess the the, the maximum pressure that that was possible which is the the best player uh, to score a point a single point on a on a good situation or a whatever the situation may be so kind of like a, a secondary wash. Yes, yes. I guess you could call it that. We we call them confirmation points. I I think that comes from the the U.S. men's terminology. I I'm not uh, I'm not really sure, but I've actually heard them. Vitar calls them golden points, actually. Okay. But but something like that. Right. All right. Well, that's yeah. That's an interesting way to go. 
and obviously you can also, if you're doing any sort of individual uh, objectives, you can you can set their targets to be slightly more aggressive or slightly more consistent or whatever is appropriate for the position and the situation of the player. You know, as you say, you know, instead of hitting three kills out of ten, they have to hit four kills out of ten. You know, on out of system or something along those lines. Uh, I would go even further as to, uh, and say that you can add a, a specific technical goal so that the the player um, can only score by spiking cross court or can only score by tooling or uh, or some added um, requirement. Right, something that obviously you'd want them to be working on. Yes. Yes. Because the best player can normally get by by playing the easiest shot by you know hitting it softly in the seam or which is which is one I've had in one of my teams who just who yeah just took the to always took the easiest shot and he won most of the time or enough of the time to keep him keep him happy right yeah with with my player at federalized I mean she could go up. And if she got max approach, you could practically pick the spot where she wanted to hit the ball. Yep. It wasn't really much of a challenge to her. <laughs> um, the the one downside to some of the matchups that you might try to do is sometimes that means you're not working on the combinations that you'd necessarily like to work on. So, for example, I, I mentioned putting my, my setter against my outside hitter because the setter was slightly better blocker. But that also means that my setter isn't working with that hitter as much as maybe we would like to do in an, under another circumstance. I, uh, in all of these, things, the most basic level, uh, the, the have the best team performance, or rather, maybe the most cohesive team performance is to spend the most period of time with six players. And everything that you do that's away from that involves some trade-off you, because you don't really want to do that all the time because you need to keep the other people, uh, the other players involved. You need to push the, um, the first team or the better players in some way, and et cetera, et cetera. So um, you, there are trade-offs in, in everything you do and you have to be uh, uh, prepared to accept them. Right. And, and just in general terms, um, one of the things, because I had this issue at Exeter where we were training essentially two squads as one, first team and a second team from a competitive perspective. So, you know, we train all together and do split squads for competition. And some of the players on the second team were clearly, they, they were never going to be first team players. They were just too inexperienced or just didn't have the physical tools or whatever. But we're all in the gym at the same time. We're all in one court, constrained space. So you have to come up with ways of, of making that happen. And some of what I did was just to get them into drills or games where either I assigned, you know, okay, we're playing 3v3 over here, and it's the, it's the six best players, and we're playing 3v3 over there, and it's the other six players. Or something where the players kind of, end up naturally filtering out like a, you know, some sort of winner's competition or whatever that kind of works in that direction. So eventually you do get to the point where it's the best players playing the best players and the weaker players going against the weaker ones. 
Yeah, at different times, I took the opposite approach to that, and and so most of the time, I want to have even teams in practice or close to even teams so that it's competitive. But but even in some drill situations that weren't competitive, at different times, I've had the best players. I've matched the best and the weakest together. And the reasoning being that um, the best player working with the, the best player can cover the uh, weakest player. So they, uh, they have to pay more attention. Uh, and the weakest player gets more contacts because he or she is with the, the best player. So uh, everybody ends up having about the same number of meaningful contacts, more than if they were matched by skill level, particularly uh, if the weakest ones are all, are all together and you keep them apart they from the rest, they, they end up practicing less than everybody else. Yeah, fair point. And, and actually, your, your comment about matching them up um, got me thinking about another way that we can, we can encourage the development of the more experienced and the better players is by turning them into coaches. You know, not, yes. not officially on the, on the roster, you know, on the bench or anything like that, but mm-hmm. putting them into situations where they have to actually work with the other players and help them and bring them along. Yep. But I know from my own perspective, I became a much better player, and this is all relative, of course, mm-hmm. when I started coaching and thinking in terms of the game from a coaching perspective. Yep. Uh, and I've you know, seen that with many other players along the years. So it's something that I've, I've always encouraged in general terms. But this is this is kind of one of those situations where it could really pay off in, in a number of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree that just from a, a general point of view, to have players involved with actively involved with coaching each other is a is a valuable tool in and of itself. Now, we kind of talked about it in the beginning, and I think you alluded to this a little bit, but we didn't really go down the path was the idea of, you know, as coaches, we, we maybe tend to prioritize our time where we think we're going to get the most impact. And that brings to mind the idea of, of do you work on strengthening your weakest parts or do you work on getting even better at your strongest parts? And I know there's competing philosophies on that. <laughs> um. That's a that's a really good question, and I think there are two approaches to it, and um, maybe at the professional level at least, and and one one is the obvious one that you spend all the time with the best players and the starters because they're the ones that really count in the end, and uh, that's one way that's one way of being successful. The the one that I mentioned at the beginning which is just spending the most time with the ones that the coach thinks are, are the easiest to improve um, I, I think is a, is another one um, uh, Vital Vital Heinen has talked not about not in the interview with us but he's talked about uh, coaching individuals and not the team so he's goal being to reach every single person in the team and by improving each individual then the team will improve 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's definitely that, that side of things. Yeah. So it's, um, it's one of those things. There's no yes and no right and wrong. It, it comes down to the coach's philosophy and, uh, and I, I guess the level, the, the level that they're coaching at also makes a difference. Well, yeah, and kind of to that point, what your your expectations are and your outcomes is obviously if you're in a developmental situation, you're going to have one approach. But if you're in a competitive situation where it's all about how we do this season, yep. then perhaps you're going to take a different approach. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, that's, the same, that's the same with everything. Um, I really, I really think though that the the coaches that more coaches uh, just take an easy way out, and and just coach the the ones that are are the easiest. But there's a there's one side of it that that Joel didn't specifically mention, but that uh, that arises often that you hear often about is the is the team dynamics of how you coach the different and what what effect it has on the group by focusing on on uh, um, whichever level of player that is right right yeah you can't you can't ever exclude the impact of of extra attention in one area or less attention in another area because yeah and maybe this doesn't impact certain teams the way it does other teams, but you know, there's definitely I've definitely seen cases where you're spending more time with so and so. You're like, ugh. <laughs> well, I'm actually thinking about it from a, a different point of view. That, um, and you hear stories like this of, um, uh, for example. From professional level, you talk about a guy like Popovich or like uh, Jackson, and they spent the most time and spent the most time pushing the best players. So, the I just heard recently, the last couple of weeks, um, uh, about Jackson coaching uh, Pippen and uh, Pippen and Jordan, for example, and in the video sessions. Uh, he would be on them the most, more than anybody else. And the the idea, of course, is is that uh, if you can, if you show that you're pushing the best players, or that's the level that the best players are required of, then it automatically uh, engages the rest of the people and and brings them up to that level. Okay, or at least get some thinking of, of that that's the level they need to be at. Well, the level of commitment, obviously okay, not yep. the level of performance. You can't, um, or the level of attention or the level of uh, engagement. Yep. So you can't ask um, somebody to be as good a player as Jordan, but you can ask him to work as hard. Right. And, uh, if you push Jordan to work hard, it's much easier to say something to anybody else. You just have to say, uh, look at Michael. Yeah, and that happens automatically. Yeah, and, and, and the other side, and the other side, the other perhaps benefit to being harder or tougher on the the better players is that it avoids the circumstance where the starters 
or the stars are seen to be coaches' favorites. Yes, yes, right there. Yeah, because I've and I know I've had a coach that I've worked with before told, "Well, you know, you like your starters better," <laughs> and it was couched in a in a it's not really a problem manner by the by the player who was saying this who was not one of the starters. She's like, you know, it was kind of like I completely understand, but you know, we think that you like the starters better, which you know, you don't want to hear that. <laughs> uh. I don't like I don't like hearing that because uh, I don't like the word like in that situation yeah. because it it implies that the who's starting or otherwise is a function is a function of some personal preference right and yeah this is you kind of hear this a uh, lot and I've heard it before I've had players say to me why don't you like me I said what do you mean why don't I like you I, like you perfectly fine he said well why aren't i playing then and i said well that has nothing to do with like that has that's a and that's to do with performance <laughs> i can like somebody who doesn't perform and i can not like somebody who does perform the, the two the two things uh, are not related to each other right yeah you always hear when they don't always but you know coach hates me because they didn't put you in you're not a starter you don't play the role that you want to play or whatever Right, the player personalizes it when it's not actually anything personal. Yes, yes. Or at least, hopefully, it isn't. <laughs> but yeah, I, I and uh, this, the I see the the other side. This of, of of treating different parts of the group differently. What you see a lot, and I or I have seen a lot is. Is the the coaches who pick on the on the the weaker players, and they're always screaming at the at them and picking out all their mistakes and and uh, I always thought that was uh, counterproductive for a whole bunch of reasons. And, yeah, and yeah, I mean, it's demoralizing for that player, and then the rest of them are just waiting for it to happen to them. Uh or not, because the one who screams at the who spends the time screaming at the weakest player is never talking to the older to the best player. <laughs> and be more of the the middle players. Uh, the middle players might get it every now and again, but it's yeah. yeah, you see it often, you hear about it often as the it's it's just the the worst player gets screamed at all the time, and yeah, and in that case, I'm I'm. 100% convinced that it's it's the coach who um, who's afraid to say it to the other guys or who's taking out frustrations on the on the young guy or or is even trying to 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 say to somebody else trying to make a point to somebody else but um, is taking the easy way out and and I, that's why I used the phrase you know taking the easy way out um, uh, to describe that situation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're, we're button up against, uh, our time here. So, uh, any final thoughts? Uh, I think how you deal with the different levels inside the group is, a uh, you know, it's, it's one of those questions that you have to, uh, you have to address it at some point or another. And, um, ideally you want to, to work, spend the same amount of time with uh, with everybody, um, but uh, that's not always possible, and you have to find the best way to get the the most or as much as you can out of everybody. And 
Um, uh, Phil Jackson's idea of pushing the best players the hardest seems to have some, seems to make some sense to me. Right. And Even if I might not myself do it all the, all the yeah. time. Well, and I would, I would take it a step further and say, you know, it's not necessarily about quantity, just kind of like touches. It's not necessarily about quantity, but it's about quality. So you may not spend as much time with each player, but, you know, you want to spend equally important time, equally meaningful time with each player. Uh, yes. <laughs> quality versus quantity. I like that. Go. Exactly. That sounds something like there's always a way we can practice less. It kind of does sound like that, doesn't it? It does. And that's does. The, for those who are paying attention at home, that's from the Jan de Bruyne interview. Yes. All right, we'll wrap it up there. It all comes back to the same things in the end. Of course. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For show notes and more, visit volleyballcoachingwizards.com backslash podcast. Got an idea for a future episode or want to ask a question? Send an email to podcast at volleyballcoachingwizards.com.